Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Thanks for tuning in this week. In segment three, we're going to catch up with our friend Jeff Ma from ProTrade.com. We're going to discuss the NFL playoffs as well as the debut of a major motion picture entitled 21. It's starring Kevin Spacey and Kate Bosworth. It's based on Ma's true story of several MIT students bringing Las Vegas to its knees. You might have read the book, Bringing Down the House. We'll discuss that with Ma in segment three. In segment four, sports ends, Greg Oden, Portland Trailblazers rookie and the number one pick in last June's NBA draft. Oden will tell us how his rehab is coming along. He had microfracture knee surgery, and we'll also discuss his endorsement deals with the likes of Nike, Tops, Spalding, and Yardbarker.com. That's coming up in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm joined in studio by Nathan Roach. Nathan, we've got a ton of headlines to get to this week. Oh, yeah. I mean, Roger Clemens is by far obviously the biggest headline. But how about the national championship game? What a disappointment. Not a surprise to me. Was it a surprise to you, Brian? No, it was not a surprise to me. And we're going to discuss the TV ratings and... Once we give you the TV ratings, you'll see that the BCS National Championship over the last several years for Fox has been an enormous disappointment for them. Well, it's a disappointment for me watching it. I know you didn't watch it as long as I did. I watched past halftime, which I don't think you made it, but I have a feeling the ratings really plummeted once halftime rolled around. Yeah, it just, you know what, it wasn't a compelling game to me, and I still think USC or Georgia should have been in that game, and I guess my little protest after I was falling asleep watching the game was that I wasn't going to watch anymore because USC or Georgia should have been in the game. Now, you were talking about Roger Clemens and Brian McNamee. That drama continues to unfold. They were supposed to testify in front of Congress January 16th. That's now been postponed to February 13th. We hear this recorded conversation at Roger Clemens' press conference on Monday. Just bizarre. Uh, It was a 17-minute conversation. I've really never seen anything quite like that press conference that we saw on Monday. No, that was the strangest conversation. If I'm Roger Clemens, I am attacking this guy that's ruining my credibility and possibly my life. It was not the case with that uh, recording. And then Clemens was on 60 Minutes with Mike Wallace. That did get very good ratings. A lot of people tuned in to watch that. So lots of headlines coming up. We'll get to all those. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training. Sports business curriculum taught by industry experts and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. 
The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. This is Sports Business Radio. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headlines, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one. The congressional hearing involving Roger Clemens, Andy Pettit, and former trainer Brian McNamee was postponed on Wednesday until February 13th so lawmakers can gather evidence and coordinate their investigation with the Justice Department. Plans are still in place for the January 15th hearing before the same committee about the Mitchell Report on baseball steroids era. The witnesses that day are Commissioner Bud Selig, Union Leader Donald Fear, and former Senate Majority Leader George Mitchell, the report's author. Now, Nathan, as we were saying in our first segment, this has been a bizarre week. Roger Clemens versus Brian McNamee. Clemens appeared last Sunday on 60 Minutes with Mike Wallace, denied vehemently that he's used performance enhancement drugs, says he's used lidocaine and B12. That's what McNamee injected him with. Then on Monday, Clemens has a press conference, and they play a 17-minute uh, phone conversation that was recorded the previous Friday between Clemens and McNamee, and 21 times during that conversation, McNamee says to Clemens, Roger, what do you want me to do? Rocket, what do you want me to do? He even once offered to go to prison. What I think is happening here, and this is just my opinion, I think McNamee's telling the truth. Here's a guy who we saw is down and out. He's got a 10-year-old son that is dying. He's living in a one-bedroom apartment. It sounds like he's broke. He still obviously idolizes Clemens, and it really pains him that he's had to turn in his idol Clemens, on the other hand, is doing exactly what he should be doing here. As we've said previously, he's vigorously defending himself. He's vehemently denying this. And in the court of public opinion, frankly, he's guilty until he proves himself innocent. Well, yeah, I don't know how you cannot believe Brian McNamee. I watched the Clemens interview on 60 Minutes, and even then, after that interview, I said, gosh, I think he's probably guilty. But then the phone conversation really convinced me, because you know what? If someone is going after me like that, and I talk to him on the phone, I am throwing out four-letter words, and I'm attacking him, saying, come on, man, come clean. Clemens never really said that. He was like we got to get this straightened out. I know I'm innocent, but he never once says, you need to tell the truth. You need to come forth and say that I didn't do this. He didn't attack him. He didn't go after him. He was more like, we need to figure something else out. I mean, it was so vague in the strangest conversation that it only affirmed what I thought after the 60 Minutes interview. Some people have said that the reason that Clemens didn't, uh, he wasn't more aggressive on the phone call is because it could have been entrapment. And it's also interesting to keep in mind, Texas is one of two states in the country where only one person has to consent to recording a phone conversation. So Clemens consented to recording that phone conversation. It sounds like McNamee knows it's recorded, but he didn't have to give his consent for that conversation to be recorded. By the way, if you want to listen to the entire conversation, go onto my blog at sportsbusinessradio.com and you can Click on the link there, and we have that entire conversation. Now, the other thing for Clemens here is he's opened up Pandora's box. According to Newsday, it's only a matter of time before IRS service agent Jeff Nowitzki, who has dogged Barry Bonds and brought down Marion Jones, gets onto this Clemens case. So not only is Clemens fighting performance-enhancing drugs allegations, but now the IRS is interested in this case. Congress is getting involved. Uh, 
Clemens is probably not going to have immunity. He's going to be under oath. Someone's lying here, whether it's McNamee or Clemens, and we're going to find out who it is when they're under oath. If they both stick to their story, someone's going to perjure themselves. Well, and I think Clemens is willing to perjure himself for the sake of saving his reputation. He's got a lot to lose here, a lot more than other athletes named in the Mitchell Report, and endorsements. I mean, just think about the future of Roger Clemens as a brand. It could be completely tarnished and destroyed, and he might not have any more source of income moving forward. We will continue to watch this story closely. Our next headline, Goose Gossage was the only player voted into Baseball Hall of Fame uh, in the 2008 ballot this week. Mark McGuire, obviously a casualty of the steroids era in many writers' minds, received just 128 votes, the exact total he had last year. His percentage increased slightly to 23.6% up from 23.5% last year when he was on the ballot for the first time. Candidates must receive 5% to remain on the ballot for the next year. They need 75% to be inducted. Doesn't look like McGuire is going to get into the Hall of Fame anytime soon. And again, what we're seeing with McGuire will probably affect Clemens and Bonds and other players who uh, test positive for steroids. That's what I was just going to say is that you see all these players pre-steroid era who are finally getting in and now we're starting to enter the steroid Hall of Fame era where all of these players who played recently, now it's questionable whether they're going to get in. And Gossage is certainly outspoken about what he thinks about steroids. He thinks people should come forward and not be elected. Yeah, he's an old schooler for sure. Speaking of doping, our next headline, Major League Baseball and the NFL agreed to join the U.S. Olympic Committee in funding anti-doping research, each contributing $3 million to create the most extensive drug-fighting partnership between America's biggest pro leagues and its Olympic Federation. The USOC is also giving $3 million, and the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency is giving $1 million to the new Partnership for Clean Competition. It's a collaboration that will use the initial $10 million to fund grants for research to combat performance-enhancing drugs in sports. That doesn't seem like a lot of money to me. $10 million coming from the NFL seems like if you really want to go after this thing, especially the Olympic Committee, I mean, there are so many doping allegations in the Olympics, you should buck up and pay a little bit more money if you really want to fight anti-doping. But it is a step in the right direction. Go on to my blog, Over the summer, I suggested a a sports homeland security council where everyone come together and come up with testing for drugs that uh, don't have tests right down, like HGH and intelligence gathering and all that kind of stuff. Read my blog. I have more thoughts on this. I think it is a step in the right direction for everyone to come together and try and uh, find the, the cure to these drugs. Our next headline, Michael Vick left Virginia on Monday and was transferred to a Kansas prison to serve the rest of his 23-month sentence on a federal dogfighting charge. The suspended Falcons quarterback is at the federal prison camp in Leavenworth, Kansas. Yahoo Sports reported that Vick plans to enter a drug treatment program at Leavenworth and a successful completion of the program may allow him to be released after serving only 12 months, which could, Nathan make him eligible for the 2009 season if Roger Goodell doesn't issue his own suspension. A lot of people not happy about this. Well, eligible is a key word here. If Michael Vick gets out early, I'm hard-pressed to believe that Ro- that Roger Goodell is going to let him play that season. I think there's got to be some sort of suspension following his jail sentence that will prevent him from playing, at least in the 2009, maybe even the 2010 season. You know, there's a lot of people that are saying, here's another example of a wealthy celebrity who has money, who, you know, it looks like he's going to get 23 months, and wow, he's only going to get half of that. I do agree with you. I think Goodell needs to give him at least a year suspension, just like he gave to Pac-Man Jones. 
Our next headline after the toughest season of his Hall of Fame career, one that tested his leadership like never before, Joe Gibbs is stepping down. Gibbs went 31-36, and 36, including 1-2 and two in the playoffs after emerging from the NFL retirement and his NASCAR career to sign a five-year, $27.5 million contract. Nathan Gibbs, who has won multiple Super Bowls with the Redskins, wasn't as good the second time around, but man, what a tough year he's had with injuries on the team and obviously the tragic death of Sean Taylor. I know, and what about off the field? He's got family issues going on, and here's a guy who's done so much for Washington, and he's one of the few coaches who leaves a little bit early, and nobody ostracizes him for doing it, as we see with so many other coaches in the NFL. He's like a god in Washington. Yeah, he really is. He's probably the most popular coach who's ever coached in Washington, D.C., and people are very sad to see him leave it'll be interesting to see what Dan Snyder the owner of the team does he has uh, he's overspent on coaches before so will he go out and get a Bill Cowher or will he promote Greg Williams who's the highest paid assistant coach in all of the NFL our next headline Monday night's BCS national championship game which saw LSU defeat Ohio State 38 to 24 earned a 14.4 Nielsen rating. That's down 17% from last year's game, which featured Florida and Ohio State. The game was down 33% from ABC's telecast of the 2006 National Championship game between USC and Texas. So the ratings over the last two years on Fox have continued to slump. I think a lot of people hope this game would be closer, and I, I believe that if it was closer, more people would have stayed tuned. But everyone was surprised to see Ohio State jump out, and then all of a sudden, where did Ohio State go? in the bucket, and then LSU just blew the game out of the water. Nobody stayed tuned to this game, including yourself, it sounds like. Yeah, you know, and I thought Fox didn't do a terrific job of the coverage, and Fox, if I swear... How many times they cut away to the band? I, I mean, it is so unbelievable. It. I, it's just ridiculous. I mean, their coverage, just it lacked insight. They showed the bands nonstop. Um, it looked like it was the first time those broadcasters, Tom Brenneman and Charles Davis, had ever seen what, these teams what play. What about the halftime kicking contest? How lame was that? Did you even see that? I did watch that, that and that's when I turned it off. Yeah, it, it was stupid. Uh, our next headline, NBC Universal and Microsoft this week announced a partnership in which NBCOlympics.com will receive prominent placement on the MSN.com portal during this year's Summer Olympics in Beijing. An unprecedented 2,200 hours of live online video coverage is going to be shown, Nathan. I think this is great. Finally. Finally, we'll be able to watch the Olympics in real time. We've seen it done with the Masters. We've seen it done with the NCAA basketball tournament. And that's been the problem is when the Olympics are held overseas, you're getting the results before you're even been able to watch them on TV. Well, and I think this is going to be the first event that we look back 10 years from now and go, that was the first major event where most people watched online. Yes, there will be a lot of people that watch in prime time and they want to see the feel-good stories and they want to watch on their flat screen TV. Yeah, but you can and... hook your computer up and your internet now to your flat screen. You can watch it on your TV the same way you would on your computer screen. But what I'm saying is there's such a time difference between China and the United States that most people would get the results early anyways and they're not going to tune into the primetime coverage. So now they at least have the option of watching at their desk or at work if they want to tune in and watch live. Our next headline, the state of Louisiana and the Hornets have signed an amended lease agreement that extends the club's lease at New Orleans Arena for two years. Here's the catch, though, Nathan. The Hornets now have an out clause. If they don't average 14,735 fans for the final five months of this season and next season. Right now, they have the worst attendance in the NBA at just over 11,000 fans. I think this seals the fate of the Hornets. I've said this for two years. I've written it on the blog. 
take a look there. I think the Hornets are done in New Orleans. They're not going to get to that 14,700 mark. If they're done in New Orleans, where are we looking at them going? Possibly Kansas City, Las Vegas, where else could they go? San Jose, Anaheim. There will be owners lining up to get a team that is portable. That's the hardest thing is getting a team that's out of their lease agreement and can be moved as of the end of next season. It's my belief the Hornets will be portable. Our next headline. Nike's Jordan brand has announced the launch of the 23rd iteration of the Air Jordan, which the company calls its first basketball shoe to be developed under the Nike-considered ethos, an effort to be environmentally friendly in design and development. The Air Jordan 23 is scheduled for a limited release on January 25th, when 23 retailers will receive 23 pairs to be sold for $230. A limited edition NBA All-Star version will be released on February 16th, and the version for mass production will launch on, what else, February 23rd for $185. Now, TV ads to promote the shoe, the first of which debuts January 14th, will run on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and CBS during high-profile sports events. This could be the last Air Jordan shoe that we see. He wore number 23. This is version number 23. I don't think it's the last one. Jordan's reportedly making about $100 million from Air Jordan sales. It still outsells LeBron or any other basketball shoe for Nike. I don't think Nike or Michael Jordan's going to walk away from that kind of cash. Coming up next, we're going to catch up with Jeff Ma, the co-founder of ProTrade.com and the star of the new major motion picture, 21, based on his life story. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000. The year before you bought the Mavericks, they were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at SportsBusinessRadio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Jeff Ma. He's the co-founder of ProTrade.com. Jeff, Happy New Year. How are you doing? Happy New Year to you, too. I'm doing well. So it's under the weather, but I'm doing well. Uh, I know. I've been fighting the cold, too, for the last week. That's why I've got even more of a nasally sound than I normally do. So excuse, uh, excuse me to the audience. Let's start by talking some... Uh, NFL playoffs. While I have been down and out, it's been good to lay on the couch and watch uh, NFL playoffs. I know you're a Patriots guy. So here's a question I've been wanting to ask you because I know you're a numbers guy. I know you have a sense of history. If you could come up with one defense from the past to try and stop this juggernaut offense of the Patriots, who would you take? Wow. That's a really tough question. Um, You know, I I think the one that probably resonates the most with me being a Patriots fan is that 85 Bears defense. Yeah, yep. Um, I think they have, they would get the pass rush on Brady and be able to hit Brady. And, I mean, I think that they'd be willing to sort of take the chances that you need to take, I think, that that might get the turnovers or force the mistakes. 
that you would need to force against these Patriots to beat them. So, I mean, I think that one kind of scares me. Um, they were so, so, so athletic. And, and then maybe some of the Giants um, defenses from the, the uh, you know, LT, Carl Banks, Pepper Johnson years, where their linebackers were just so incredibly athletic and LT was, you know, st- was basically sacking people at will. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you on the Bears. I guess the only other one that I'd throw into the conversation would be the Steel Curtain. Those guys were uh, pretty good, pretty athletic, some great linebackers, some good safeties, and uh, maybe they'd have a chance. But it's just remarkable to see the numbers that this Patriots offense has uh, put on the scoreboard this year. And I know you're based in San Francisco. You followed the Niners for a long time. You know about Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, Steve Young. This team has even surpassed what those guys did. Yeah, I, I just think the the sort of blend of everything that happened with the athleticism of the wide receivers and the Patriots playing some weak teams in the NFC East. I'm sorry, in the AFC East. I mean, it's you know when you thought about um, you know New England going into the season basically with three brand new wide receivers. Um, you know, Reggie Codwell, who was probably the best receiver on this team last year, wouldn't, wouldn't even you know sniff the uh, sniff the turf with this team. So, like, when they first signed Kelly Washington, you know, from Cincinnati, I was actually pretty happy, and that guy hasn't even gone on the field either. So, I mean, just the talent infusion that they put into their offense um, has been incredible. And I think the thing that has really, really been incredible to me is how well they've still been able to protect Brady, or at least how their schemes have been able to get Brady, um, The you know, he's been able to get rid of the ball quick enough so that pressure has not bothered him as much as you would think. Do you see any team beating the Patriots this year? Um, I think the team that actually has the best chance to beat them would be Green Bay in the championship. I mean, I think that, well, there's actually two teams. I think Green Bay in the championship, and then I think there's still a slight fear on my part, and it's probably unwarranted about San Diego, just because I think if San Diego gets to play the Patriots, they're going to have such an emotional rush to play them because of how much you know sort of hatred and disdain there is for guys like LT and Merriman and Sean Phillips for that Patriots organization. So I really think that they would be up for that game in a way that like no other team might ever be to play the Patriots. And so that worries me a little bit. But then you have the Philip Rivers factor, which I think mitigates any sort of motivation that they would have. <laughs> Um, and I think that Green Bay is, is a little bit dangerous just because they have the guys that can get some pressure on Brady, and they have uh, decent cornerbacks that they can leave out there. I mean, it, it, without Woods and Healthy, obviously that's a little bit of a worry. Um, but in, in general, then they have the right wide receivers and the offense to actually match um, the Patriots to some extent. I mean, you like the idea of Brett Favre being the gunslinger and throwing the Greg Jennings and the Donald Drivers and the Corn Robins of the world. You know, it's funny to hear you mention these teams that could have a possibility of beating the Patriots. The one team you didn't mention is the Indianapolis Colts. We had uh, Bill Polian, the president of the Colts, on this show last week. I've never seen a team go 13-3 and and fly under the radar like the Colts have this year. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe I just didn't mention the Colts because they're sort of the popular answer, and that's the chalk, and it's not interesting to hear someone talk about how, you know, they had a close game with them last time and they beat them last year and all that kind of stuff. But I think the reality is, you know, I, I think it hurts them not to have Dwight Freeney on that pass rush. I think it hurts them to play them on the road. Um, I think I think that in, for a large extent, I mean, I think that Belichick's been able to do a good job against Manning, and you don't have 100% healthy uh, Marvin Harrison. So, I mean, you have a lot of issues with that Colts team um, that – 
you know, you haven't had in the past. I mean, the Colts team is very good, don't get me wrong, and Bob Sanders and that defense is the best defense they've seen. Um, that Tampa 2 is, is, is tough. I mean, it's going to be tough. It's going to cause some problems for the Patriots. But at the end of the day, I, I think that that's the too obvious answer, and I think the Patriots will be so ready for that game that if they stumble, it'll be with, some, with someone else. Imagine the scenario of the, the Chargers upset the, the Colts, which I don't think is going to happen in sure. many years, but imagine that does happen, and all of a sudden the Patriots let down a teeny bit just because they think, gosh, we're not playing the Colts. Oh, wow. And then you get that opportunity with the Colts and a high level. Emo- I mean, sorry, with the Chargers and a high level emotion coming into Gillette Stadium. Yeah, it definitely could happen. Our guest is Jeff Ma. He's the co-founder of ProTrade.com. Jeff, I want to talk a little bit of baseball, and I got to give you some props. Uh, last time we had you on, we talked about the whole Alex Rodriguez situation, and you said that you thought that ultimately he would wind up again with the Yankees. Well, guess what? You were right. Do you yeah. do you think the Yankees? I mean, obviously they had to re-sign a Rod for zillions of different reasons, but uh, that's a good fit going forward, isn't it? Yeah, I think that you know taking credit for that is probably um, as much luck as it was anything else. Just because I simply just couldn't see a way for the, uh, for the Yankees to let him go, and I probably hadn't read quite as much as everyone about what you know the Steinbrenners were saying about how they didn't want him back. I mean, they need to have him back. I think that that's. It's it's a good fit for for the Yankees. Certainly, they need him. It's a good fit for A Rod because he you know it keeps him in the limelight. It keeps him potentially with a winner, and it, it definitely helps his legacy. I mean, I think so many people said to me, "Can you imagine A Rod leaving there because it will kill his legacy?" And I was wondering how much does A Rod really care about his legacy? Well, from everything I've heard about A Rod, he is incredibly worried about his perception in the public. He's very much a politician and always worried about what the perception is. So maybe he is really worried about his legacy, and maybe that is one of the reasons that he came back to uh, New York. I want to talk to you also about the Tigers' acquisition of Miguel Cabrera and Dontrell Willis. It's got to make the Tigers one of the favorites in the AL. Obviously, Boston's still very good. Yankees will be formidable, but the Tigers, I think, have to be in that mix now. Well, I heard on the flight over there that Miguel Cabrera actually ate Dontrell Willis, so he's the only <laughs> one that's actually going to be able to play. Wow. Um, no, I mean, I think that the the the, um, the Miguel Cabrera part of it is huge. I mean, he, to get a hitter at his age who's already proven as much as he has um, – it's just unbelievable to be able to do that and to add that to that lineup. The question I have is, is in reality, Dontrell Willis is more or less just an average pitcher. Um, he goes to a great ballpark for him. I mean, and he, he should improve. I would imagine his season will improve this year um, because it can't get worse. But the big key to that trade, I think, is Cabrera. And, you know, I think that Dontrell will end up being just a middle-level pitcher. So I want to talk about your movie. I went to see I Am Legend with Will Smith recently. Fantastic movie. But I was sitting in the theater and I saw the trailer for your new movie, 21. It's starring Kevin Spacey, Lawrence Fishburne, and Kate Bosworth. Uh, it opens March 28th. Obviously, the movie is based on the book Bringing Down the House. You lived this experience. What is it like to see it on the big screen? Well, I haven't seen the whole thing yet. I, I actually have a part in the movie as an extra. I'm a dealer. I actually have a speaking part and you know, nice. did the whole thing. So it, it's pretty exciting. I mean, it's just a real experience. The whole thing is surreal. Just seeing yourself a book about you and then seeing, you know, going onto a website where they're talking about you or any of that kind of stuff, it's just surreal. Like, And it doesn't seem to me like it really happened, you know. And, and I think that once, you know, in some respects, like I'm, I'm very excited for the movie to come out and all of it around there, but there's a lot of anticipation around it on my part. And I think that once it comes out, I'm going to be so excited to just see it because people have asked, 
so many questions about it and things like that. And it, it, you know what? It's it's it, it is it's surreal. That's the only that's the only word I can use to describe it. Now, as the movie was being filmed, were you on the set as a consultant so they could be as authentic as possible? Yeah, I mean, not as not as formal as as that exactly. I I was welcome on the set whenever I wanted. The director would ask me questions. During the um, writing of the screenplay, the original screenwriter asked me a bunch of questions, and I helped sort of collaborate with him on a lot of stuff. Um, the reality is that Hollywood is, is much more about making a good movie than they are about making a movie as accurate as it can be to real life. And when there were times when, you know, Robert Lukedic, who's the director, said, hey, you know, Jeff, what is what would you do in a situation like this, or what would this look like? Then I would answer him, but I tried to stay out of it in terms of not poking my nose into their business. So explain to the people who haven't read Bringing Down the House and may be a little bit confused as to what we're talking about. In a nutshell, how did this story come together? It's you and you were at MIT. There's several students. There's the Kevin Spacey uh, role. How did it all come together? Well, basically over the course of about you know three, four years um, and then longer afterwards, we were a professional card counting team, meaning we got trained to uh, go into the casinos and to beat the casinos for lots of money playing blackjack. Blackjack's the only game in the casino that's subject to continuous probability, meaning what you see impacts what you're going to see. And therefore, if you track what you've seen, you can actually figure out what your odds are of winning and therefore bet more when your odds are higher and bet less when your odds are lower. So that was the bulk of what Bring Down the House is about. And we had tremendous success. And I think one of the things that makes it a very interesting story is that we were, by day, you know, MIT students or just people out of, M- just, people just out of MIT, and then, you know, at night in Vegas, we were rock stars. We could go to any club we wanted and get in right away. We were, you know, I was dating an NFL cheerleader, and, you know, we had two-floor suites and, you know, pools, rooms with pools and everything like that. So What a life. Yeah, it was an unbelievable life. It kind of makes sitting at home a little bit, uh, a little bit more difficult now. Yeah, is it a little bit boring now in comparison? <laughs> you know, sometimes I like boring. It's not a bad thing to kind of just sit, sit down and chill out. But I still go to Vegas every once in a while and sort of experience that life, not to the not to the extent that I used to, but still go and have fun. Do they let you play? They don't let me play blackjack pretty much anywhere, but I can go and play, you know, craps and things like that. And just I basically just go to have fun now. I mean, most people I, I was doing uh, an interview the other day where someone was asking me about sports betting and gambling in general. I said, "Well, the first question you have to ask yourself is are you doing this for entertainment or are you doing this to try to make money?" Because if you're doing it to try to make money, there's a lot of things that you need to do that you prob- probably wouldn't want to do. If you're just doing it to have fun, then don't worry about it. Just go and have fun. And at the end of the day, realize that any money you lose is, is entertainment money. Jeff, last question. Uh, give me the latest uh, with ProTrade.com. Uh, I think the big thing that we're doing is, is we're launching a website within the next couple weeks, uh, or sorry, next month or so, called Double Play TV, which um, will be a video site dedicated to what we are calling sort of counter sports programming. Um, if you think about ESPN on one side and then you think about all the, the, the sort of low-budget stuff you see on YouTube, they're just trying this opportunity to start producing some counter you know, video-type um, stuff on um, a website. So we're, we're working on that. You can see some of the stuff we're working on on ProTradeTV.com, and we're going to be launching this website within the next month. Well, Jeff, I appreciate you taking time. Jeff Ma, co-founder of ProTrade.com. Happy New Year again, and uh, let's catch up again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Brad. Thank you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. 
Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Greg Oden of the Portland Trailblazers. Greg, uh, Happy New Year. Um, do you have any New Year's resolutions or anything that you've put as goals for 2008? Well, you know, my goal right now is just to get back and get healthy and, and be ready for the, the beginning of next season. So how is the rehab coming along? Um, and, you know, this is a perfect example of the team is on the road, you're here. What do you use as motivation to get you ready to return to the basketball court? Well, the first thing I said to myself yesterday is because I came in and worked out, I was like, I'm starting the new year off right. So I'm, I was in here, I worked hard, I lived. I got on the bike, and I'm just trying to lose some weight and just stay in shape. And so what I said to myself is I'm starting the new year off right by working hard and just concentrating on getting back. I want to talk about your early career. Um, since early on, I mean, you're a, you're a big guy, you're a tall guy. You've had these enormous expectations placed on your shoulders. What has that been like? I mean, you know, you're 19. I know you turn 20 later in the month. That's a lot of responsibility for someone 19 years old. Um, you would think so. A lot of people think so. But just because I got it so young and I had great people around me in high school to help me handle it, it's, it's not really a lot. Like uh, when I first got here in that big old parade, people were like, aren't you overwhelmed? That's crazy. And I was like, no, that's, that's just another thing that I've been through in my life. And, you know, it just takes it all. I got great people to keep me humble. So, you know, just keep a good mind about it talk about Mike Conley Sr. for a minute. I've interviewed him, and it's got to help you hear someone that you've been around for a good part of your life. And a lot of life is trust and knowing that you can depend on someone. Maybe you can discuss your relationship with Mike Conley Sr. and how having him as your agent now has maybe eased your transition a little bit to becoming a pro basketball player. Um, he was he was always there. He helped me and my mom out a, a great deal when I was younger. My mom struggled, and he helped us out, and it wasn't no thing like he's going to be a good basketball player because at that time I was horrible. So you would never be able to say that, and he's just always been there. And so just to know somebody who was take care of me when I wasn't even good to right now with all the things going well for me, why not have him there to take care of me and somebody that I can trust and that my mother trusts also. Now, it's interesting to, ha- to hear you say, I was horrible. You know, I can't think of a time where you were ever horrible. To you, in your mind, when did the light go on and you said, you know what? I could see myself being a pro basketball player. I can see me doing this as my career when I get to that point. Um, it was probably my sophomore year in high school is when I started realizing and getting a lot of pub and knowing that, you know what, I can take over these games. And that's when it kind of just hit me. I need to be more aggressive. 
I'm joined by Greg Oden of the Portland Trailblazers. Greg, uh, watching you earlier in your career and then at Ohio State, I saw you do interviews, but you didn't seem to be as out there as you are right now. It seems like as soon as you announced that you were going pro, you know, we saw the blog and we got to know your personality a lot more through the interviews. And it's very refreshing. You're a a funny young man and, uh, you know, you like movies and we're learning all these things about your dog and um, the person that is Greg Oden. Was that a conscious effort or were we not paying attention before because you were doing it all along and we may not have noticed? Um. I think it could have been that. I, I mean, I was doing the same thing I was doing, but uh, it's just after I got drafted, I started doing more things and different things, and that's just people started seeing me, different types of people started seeing me. People who probably don't even watch basketball have seen me and heard me make little comments and little jokes that I just make on a regular basis, and it's just after I got drafted, more people started to notice. How do you enjoy doing your blog? I know sometimes I do a blog too, and it's not nearly as popular as yours. But uh, I know sometimes it can be a little bit of a chore. You know, people want you to update it regularly, and some days you're like, you know, I just don't feel like doing it today. Um, you seem to update it pretty regularly, and I really enjoy the insight. I saw the latest video that you posted of your rehab. I mean, you can't get that kind of insight anywhere else. Um, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, when I first started, I was writing, like, pages, and I thought that's what I was supposed to write. And then I started looking at everybody else's, and they come in there like, hey, world, it's Tuesday, just saying hi. And that's it. I'm like, what? I can do that? So, you know, now that I'm just like, all right, I write, like, a, a big paragraph and then a couple of times a week, and, you know, that would be good. But it's not a lot. I just really just say if anything happens or if I have any thoughts that I can share, then I will. I want to talk about uh, some of your endorsement deals for a minute. You've got deals with Nike, Tops, Spalding. Uh, you're on the cover of 2K Sports. I like that game. You do a good job with that. Uh, tell me about doing endorsements. I mean, that's got to be kind of fun. Um, that's a lot of fun. Um, you got a lot of appearances. And uh, actually, I'm with Town & Country here out of Portland, a car, car dealership. So, you know, those are always fun and just – being able to say you're a Nike athlete is always great. That's a that's a partnership for life. And Spalding, I mean, that's the ball we use. And I did a commercial for that, but I don't think a lot of people seen it. It was on the internet. It was kind of a cool commercial. Is it on your blog? It's not on my blog. Um, actually, I haven't even seen the, the end. But I did it this summer, and I think they put it up on their website. It was. I know you're a big movie fan. Uh, give me your two best movies of 2007: comedy and drama. Uh, Super Bad was my favorite comedy, and I'm I can I can name three. This Christmas was a good movie. I really liked it. I seen it five times, literally five <laughs> times. Who's in that? Uh, Chris Brown's in that. Okay. And uh, shoot, who else is in that? Lauren London. It's a kind of African American Christmas movie, but it was good. I liked it. And I Am Legend. I liked I Am Legend. I was going to ask you about that. I read on your website that Will Smith is one of your favorite actors. I saw I Am Legend, and I'll tell you what, I've never been more scared during a movie than that. I mean, it seemed like around every corner there were those, you know, monsters that were coming to get the people. Everybody keeps on saying that they were scared. I wasn't scared. I was just, it was just into it. I was just, had my eyes glued to it the whole entire time. Yeah, it was a very good movie. He really uh, is buff for that movie, wasn't he? I mean, when he was doing those... uh, 
the chin-ups, I was like, wow. Because he, he was in Muhammad Ali, too, and he kind of changed uh, his body type to get ready for that movie, and uh, he looked good in that movie. It's, all, it's funny because Jay Jensen, our trainer, always tells me, like, yeah, Greg, you, uh, we're going to get your body. Just think of Will Smith and I am legend. <laughs> yeah. Now you've got uh, something to shoot for. Just a few minutes left, talking about basketball again. The team has played really well. In your absence, do you feel like that's taken a little bit of the pressure off of you for next year when you step on the basketball court? Or do you still feel like, you know what, that day that I step on the basketball court, there's still going to be some pretty high expectations? Um, it's taken a lot of pressure off of me, but there's still going to be high expectations when I get on the court. And most of that expectation is going to be put on by myself from me because uh, I expect a lot when I'm out there. I'm, I'm a winner. I hate to lose. So when I'm out there, I mean, I'm just – I hope we can win every game. But uh, uh, sometimes that's not a possibility. But that's just the, the way I think when I'm out there playing. Sitting on the bench, being around your teammates, talking to other players in the NBA, what can you learn this season, even though you're sidelined, that you can apply to next season when you get back out on the basketball court? Well, my biggest thing is what I'm learning. I'm getting confidence just being able to watch these guys play and see how they handle things and me thinking, okay, I see how they do. I can actually do that. And, you know, next year I can do this against this player. And it's just giving me a whole bunch of confidence to know that I can play against these guys when when it's my time. Last question. You turned 20 on January 22nd. Happy uh, birthday early. So 20 years have gone by in your life. If you look to the next 20 years and maybe you don't look that far ahead but do you have things that you want to accomplish whether it's in basketball maybe in the community starting your own foundation are there things that you've thought about that hey here's what i want to do in the next 10 20 years um yeah all that's been already thought of um you know the Boys and Girls Club is where I got started at, so that's a, a, a big thing to me, and that means a lot to me. So that's something I'm going to get into, and just being able to help this basketball team and you know make the playoffs and hopefully win win a championship. That's uh, what I want to do. Uh, I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna get my education at Ohio State, and just things like that that I already know what I want to do. What are you gonna study at Ohio State? Um, finance is what uh. I started at, but you know, I'm I'm starting to get a little interest in cooking, you know, since I live by myself now, so I'm I don't know. Right now I'm still deciding. I'm seeing a cooking show with Greg Oden in the future somewhere on T V. I think that'd be uh, pretty good to watch. Yeah, that way I don't have to act. I can just be myself, be up there like boom. It would be like Emerald. Yeah. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Greg, uh, thank you very much for taking time. Thank you, sir. You're listening to Sports Business Radio, we'll be right back. One shot, one opportunity, sees everything you ever wanted. One this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, 
We'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. This is Greg Oden, the number one pick, and you're listening to Sports Business Radio. We are back with our final segment on this edition of Sports Business Radio. Greg Oden, what a pleasant young man, and I think he's got a great future in the NBA, Nathan. Well, especially given the year that he's had, he's remained so positive. He's charismatic off the court, and I think he's got a lot of potential both on and off the court with the Blazers in the future. Yeah, he's a really funny guy, and like you said, he's very even-keeled. So going through this whole rehab process, he hasn't gotten too up, he hasn't gotten too down. I think he's going to do just fine, and... Gosh, the Blazers are playing amazing without him. Imagine how they're going to be with him on the court next season. A stat we wanted to get to before we wrap up the show. The 32 college football games this season attracted 1.7 million fans. That's up 2.1% from last season and up 16% from the 05-06 season. So as we talked earlier in the show, TV ratings are going down, but more people are going to these bowl games. And 32 bowl games? Are you kidding me? That's too many. That's why so many people are going. Is every student that has a team that gets into a bowl game is going to these bowl games. Well, I mean, what are there, like 10 teams that don't get into bowl games anymore? It's ridiculous. They need a new system. The BCS isn't working. They need a playoff. We saw the University of Georgia president come out this week and beat the drum for that. He says he's going to rally some other presidents. Hopefully, in the near future, we'll have an 8-team or a 16-team playoff. But the BCS system is getting more and more boring every year. I think it makes the postseason irrelevant. They talk about making the regular season relevant and of the utmost of importance. I think this postseason was irrelevant and the national championship game was a yawner. Lots of thank yous on this week's show. Greg Oden from the Portland Trailblazers, Jeff Ma from ProTrade.com, our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training, a podcast reminder you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week by going to sportsbusinessradio.com and clicking on the podcast page. I'm Brian Berger. Have a tremendous week. Lots going on in the sports business world this week. We'll have lots of headlines and NFL playoffs to discuss next week, and we'll do that with you then. Have a great week. You've been listening to Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com.